Hey, this is Dave Fryer. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Jeff Howie's back. Jeff, say hi to everybody. How's everyone doing? Good to be back, Dave. <laughs> Full of energy. So we have a topic that Jeff has proposed, and it's sort of a follow-up to something, a white paper that Leading Agile put out right, at, right after the start of the pandemic, when everybody started to have to work from home, we put out a white paper giving some guidance on how to work with remote teams. And so what we want to do is sort of build on that a little bit. Or maybe, Jeff, could you explain it? Because you did a much better job of this than, than I think I'm doing. Yeah, so uh, a few months ago, right at the beginning of you know, kind of this pandemic uh, breakout issue, we, we put out a white paper that really helps us share some ideas and guidance on collaborating remotely, especially with our team setting. Uh, and a lot of the focus in that white paper is on how to manage collaboration and visibility in your system of transformation. And what we've seen as, as coaches on the grounds, as instructors in our training classes uh, and working with clients is... A lot of teams are now struggling with maintaining collaboration and visibility around their system of delivery. And so I thought we could talk a little bit about how to translate some of that guidance and, and some tips and tricks to help everyone in those areas. Okay, cool. Um, could you, I'm going to ask you to explain to them who you are in a minute, but before that, since you've already started dropping the lingo, can you explain system of delivery? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the system of transformation, let's start there, is really, it's the organizational approach to how you're managing implementation and change around your kind of agile transformation, your business transformation, everything around the people involved, the approach you take, the change management uh, and communications that are around that. It's how you're managing the change to become a more agile enterprise and the way you then deliver the work through, you know, kind of agile techniques, being more product focused versus project focused, that's what we're calling your system of delivery. And so, you know, it's the, the structure, the teams that are around, how you manage uh, an idea from intake through, you know, defining what the work needs to be, tying that back to strategy, building it, releasing it, measuring its success in the market. That's really the system of delivery at a high level. All right. Could you tell the folks a little bit about what you do at Leading Agile? Absolutely. It, it depends on the day right now. Um, a, lot, <laughs> a lot of the time. Yeah. Day, day in and day out, it may change, especially week to week. So uh, I've been working and helping support a lot of our online live training courses that we do because um, we, we find that that's almost impossible for one instructor to lead and try to keep everyone engaged for full days. So spend a fair amount of time in that area. Uh, in addition to that, and really kind of where my, my core passion is, is around helping organizations figure out and then make the change to be an agile enterprise. So, you know, if we were an old waterfall kind of project oriented organization, how do we now align our organizational design uh, around, you know, kind of the, the business needs, the business outcomes, the products and strategies versus just platforms and, and skills. And then the other is really helping to drive that, that change at scale. So, you know, it's not something you just flip the switch and say, hey, we want to be agile at, at scale overnight. And so helping an organization and partnering with them to manage that long-term approach and change and, and transformation roadmap is really where I spend a lot of my time. Okay. So we're going to talk about roadmap in just a second. I, I just want to mention one thing for the folks that are listening too. So Jeff and I have been working together on classes since March. And I feel like the oceans of stuff we have tried and learned about and just abandoned along the way. I mean, it's like the road is littered with bodies of things that just didn't work. And 
um, I, there's just so much that we've picked up, but I don't think that 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 stuff of how we interact with the class is necessarily relevant to something like road mapping, right? How are we going to plan this stuff out? How are we going to maintain visibility? So what are some of the problems that that organizations are now encountering specifically because of the pandemic and because of the remote when it comes to stuff at that at that high strategic level? Yeah, I, I think some of the the first one that comes to mind, you see this, you know, especially if you are in the afternoon of a Thursday conversation and you realize pretty much everyone, including yourself, is just suffering from remote collaboration fatigue, right? This is like the 40th hour of online being attached to my headphones, to my laptop, sitting in front of a camera, and it's only Thursday. And so there's a lot of fatigue where individuals are drained. Um, another is availability and reliability to show up. You know, how many times have we been going into a, a crucial conversation around, you know, the, the next thing that's most important for us to deliver and, you know, eight of the 16 people are 10, 15 minutes late. Um, when they do show up, you know, they're not in front of their camera because they had to take a stretch break. They had to run to the restroom. I just reliability of individuals. And it's not intentional. I think a lot of this is just by nature of being attached to our, our, you know, digital devices. Uh, the other big one that's really interesting is interruptions and technical issues. And I don't know which one's worse, right? The sudden appearance of landscapers right outside the window or, um, you know, yeah, exactly. Like a plague. Cats, you know, um, it, it, it's funny because the cat is the, the biggest one. It took us what, almost an hour last week on a, a meeting to figure out that there was a cat laying on the table next to one of, you know, kind of our meeting participants. And it was the cat like wiggling its, its tail, tail yeah. and thumping it every now and then was like, what is causing that issue? And it was just maddening. Uh, and then the other is the technical issues. Like I, I know I was in a meeting earlier this morning with, with some of the Midwest. They have this big storm going through and suddenly like half of the half of the meeting was gone because they had lost power. So those are some of the general things. And so when we talk about some of the tips and techniques here a little later, kind of pulling and drawing from those experiences that we've had, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are having uh, over the last few months. I want to I want to throw one into the pile there. So you know you mentioned the cat thumping and people with landscapers and stuff. Um, I do a lot of calls with people who are fidgety people, people that I mean they they can't sit still, and so I'm talking to them and they're like walking all around their house, or I'm trying to record a podcast with them and they're going in and out of the signal, and there's all this background noise, and um, I think that that's got to be tough for the people that need to move around but it's it's also really tough for the people that don't move around and are wondering like what the hell is going on it's so distracting and you can't be like stop moving because that's how they think so i don't know that's a a weird one too i think maybe there's got to be some version of empathy for for coping with what people are dealing with when we're all remote Absolutely. I think it's, it's challenging for those that um, may have even a little empathy for some who have none. It's, it's, I think a whole new world. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, So where should we start? This is, there's a lot to unpack here. There is. So um, I think 
One, one of the things I want to start with, and, and, and this builds on some concepts from our white paper, as well as a lot of the live stream and videos that uh, we've been doing over the last few months, and, and recordings of those are available, you know, kind of from our website if those are of interest as well. But there's this concept that we've started to talk about, and the acronym we use is PEASTER. So it's, you know, being able to uh, prepare and socialize, and then you tailor implement and reinforce. And so I thought we would kind of follow a little bit of that model. And, and what I want to really narrow in on is for people like our product owners, scrum masters. If you're in an organization that's starting to scale, we're starting to think about people like product managers and portfolio managers, maybe some of your solution architects. But in that system of delivery, in order for us to be able to get work done, but I think even more importantly, to plan and show kind of the health and progress of our plans, whether they're near-term or long-term, I think that's one of the things that you know is really the most important. So tie it back a little bit to that that peaceer approach. So when you're talking about transparency and visibility with this stuff, I'm just figuring that everybody's thinking they should just go look in Jira or whatever it, tool you're using. Yeah, right. If if only. Um, so many issues with that. Like I, I know that the tools are critical and important. Uh, and in a lot of cases, I think a lot of organizations have made really good progress in, you know, either using the built-in pieces of the tool or adding on some layers and some other kind of, you know, system to to access the data to create things like, you know, roadmaps and dashboards. But I think the most crucial and critical part of this right now is really the conversation around that. You, you're looking at the data, you're looking at something, but what does it mean? Uh, how do we need to adapt and how do we need to adjust? How do I, you know, especially as an executive, confirm that the things we're trying to do as an organization in order to meet the market where it is, satisfy customers, maintain our business in these trying times, how do I have confidence that everything going on and being represented in Jira is actually driving to those outcomes? So that's yeah. really the higher levels, that piece of it. Okay. Okay. So, um, can we can we focus on road mapping for a moment? Let's do. How are you going to create a roadmap? I mean, like if you were, we talk about this in class all the time. If you were doing this, it would take a couple days with a lot of people in a room figuring it out. But if everybody's remote, the noise and the signal is much more severe that you have to deal with. People are constantly being distracted by the things around them. Um, how do you get? I mean, even something as simple as two people talking at once completely destroys anyone's ability to understand what's happening. Right. Um, how do you navigate that or what recommendations do you have for, for something that people could do to, to make that work better remotely? That, that's a really good question. I think a lot of times, and, and I've witnessed this uh, in execution, we see a lot of people kind of just taking the old approach. You know, let's get a whole bunch of people together in a room on a whiteboard with sticky notes. You know, maybe it's for a day or two or three and you're, you're interacting to create, uh, you know, kind of a virtual roadmap. And I think what we're seeing is that doesn't translate from a room with a bunch of people physically present, you can interact with one another, you've got all the nonverbal cues, you can move around and walk up to the whiteboard. You get into this situation where, you know, if, if you have 10, 15, or heaven forbid, 40 people in a conference call on Zoom or WebEx, it's impossible. So I think one of the first things I start with is, this goes to a concept, um, I think it's the, the Nimawashi concept, right? You had mentioned that to Nimawashi, me a little bit. Yeah. Yep. yeah, and so, you know, the, the first part I think is that you've got to think who needs to be there 
uh, who doesn't? And so I start with that part first um, and facilitate the heck out of your uh, invitations and conversations. There are other people who need to be actively involved in understanding, but maybe not so much decision making. And so you're looking at, you know, a little bit your, your audience and who you need for things like building a roadmap. There's some set of pre-work that I think these, these folks need to do in terms of meeting with individuals or smaller groups ahead of time to set expectations, validate assumptions. I like the term one of my friends uses, um, she says, assume loudly. I think that's one of the biggest pieces is... What do you mean? What is that assume loudly? Uh, so in a lot of, you know, a lot of cases, you know, we, we've worked in an organization where there's just a lot of things we assume. We kind of know the culture, we kind of know the people, we kind of know the customers, but that we kind of know doesn't really carry over when you're not able to interact in the moment in real time. Uh, And so you have to be able to, I think, call those out a little bit more explicitly when you're setting, you're setting that interaction and expectation before you actually go into road mapping. Like here is like, I assume this is for our customer X, but I think you should actually ask that, right? Just to confirm because that'll drive additional conversation. And then if, if that's the case, that's great. If not, it helps create then that, you know, you know, a forum for other ideas to come up or folks who, who can validate or clarify your assumption. Okay. I'd like to challenge something here. So the, sure. first of all, I wanted to give a shout out to Mark Perry for being the guy that taught me about Nimawashi, but um, I'm going to be going, I'm going to be in a meeting a road mapping session with a lot of people. And I'm going to go around to the key people and make sure that I'm in sync with them and understand what they're planning on doing and what they're fighting for and all that stuff beforehand. So that when I come in, I'm fully prepared to make whatever maneuvers I have to make to get whatever thing I want to have happen. In an environment where we're already talking about Zoom fatigue or remote collaboration fatigue, um, we're now piling on more meetings to make the meetings go better. Right. Okay. We we can keep with that theme of, of thought here for a minute. Yes. Keep, okay. keep doing that that road. Okay. So that's just going to make it worse. I mean, I I think everything you're saying is really important. Getting people prepared, getting them on the same page, socializing how we're going to go through this stuff, getting all that groundwork laid ahead of time because it's already going to be awkward when we get together anyway. No matter how much you practice this stuff, it's, there's always things that get a little bit clunky. But what do we do about that, about the fact that people are already kind of fried and now we're adding more to the table? I think that's one of those, uh, you know, it's, you can't win either way. So I mean, I'm gonna, let's pick on product owners, right? So a lot of what we're talking about with road mapping, it's, it's product owners or those in product ownership, you know, really, understanding what are the priorities, what are the strategies, what needs to be done, how do we break that down in in conversation as well as kind of in practicality before a team gets the, the work to, to build on it. And so if, if I as a product owner am used to, and they, people do this as product owners all the time, right? You have these conversations with stakeholders, you meet with users, you talk about those. One of the things that I think we often rely on a little bit is the ability to access those individuals by like walking up, uh, dropping by their desk, being able to go to the water cooler. And now they're in, you know, eight hours back to back of meetings and can't do that. And so 
I, I agree for, for some individuals and product owners, you know, those in product ownership for sure, it's going to add, we'll just call them meetings because they're going to be invitations in your calendar that have, you know, a specific time. So it's going to add meetings. I think you have to be able to do those and do them quickly. So you're prepared well okay. ahead of time. Um, and you're coming in then to socialize and get feedback. And so you can go tailor, you know, implement and uh, reinforce that. But the other thing, I think the, the trade-off, the buyout for this, you know, spending more time up front, which means let's say I'm used to preparing something two weeks before I have our roadmap review. Maybe yeah. I need to do three weeks ahead of time. Okay. When you get to those group settings where I now have 10, 15 or 20 people, instead of arguing and fighting about it and, you know, clarifying assumptions, overcoming, you know, what may have been misconstrued or misunderstood. So we're not doing that in the public setting, which is a frustrating and B time consuming. We're trying to offset by doing a lot of that ahead of time, being really, really prepared so that when you do go in, you'll still need these folks for, for those conversations. So they're going to feel like it's more meetings too, right? But we have to yeah. be very time, time sensitive. So Instead of wasting people's time fighting about things in that conversation, or even worse, you know, after an hour and a half or two hours, leaving with, you know, a half a half baked roadmap, what we want to get to is being able to facilitate that last conversation to get alignment agreement around the roadmap, make sure that everyone's clear, so that I can you know do it maybe within an hour, leave within that uh, hour without the half-baked, I have to follow up on 14 things, get us together for six more meetings, we're really ready to go. So I think yeah. that's kind of the, the goal of this. Okay. I, I want to I add to that too. I think, um, so what we're doing in the training classes is we're providing a lot of information to people ahead of time, just like Jeff said. We're also going over it again in class, um, but we're getting much less um, I guess it's creating less stress. People are already somewhat aware of it. They've already seen it before. But that is is our way of um, assuming loudly. I think that's what, the way the way you said it. Yeah. Um, like we, we have to say, this is what this is happening. This is what is not happening. Um, and I guess one of the things that, that, that I would like to, to say is if you are working with a virtual group and you have an event that involves some sort of pre-reading or pre-work and you don't do it, to me, that's the same as showing up a half an hour late. It's, it's, if you don't have the time, maybe you don't, maybe you shouldn't go, but if you're going to go show up prepared um, because it's, it wrecks it for everybody else. That's, that's a really interesting situation. And I'm curious as, as we go further through these, you know, kind of how often we see it, but let's say you've been trying to get with that product executive, you know, who's, championing a, a really big initiative and it's got to have some huge splash in the market uh, and, and you need them for preparing and socializing and really understanding, you know, what the priorities are so that you can take that into your roadmapping conversation. What if they don't show up? They won't make the time until that very last minute and then they show up and, you know, you've done your effort to get everyone aligned as much as you could without kind of that senior leader um, and then they show up and they're like, well, this isn't at all, at all what I meant. You know, how much time have we wasted to that? So I think there's some... Well, or they show up and we have to bring them up to speed on why they're there in the first place. And everybody else has done the work. Yeah. And to me, like that, um, that's the part where from a leadership perspective, I think that that sets a tone. And it does. Th there's all these these little things now that I think were 
maybe an issue in person, but um, etiquette practices like social behavior, things like that, um, showing up on time, you know, any of those little things are maybe a concern in person, but online, to me, they've become much louder and um, something that I try to take much more care with and and I guess what I want everybody else in the universe to do is to do the same thing, like show up ready, give it your full attention, block out the other distractions, don't have a bunch of other applications open. Like if you're going to be there, be there. And if, if you're an executive and you can't be there, okay, but recognize that that's going to tell the rest of your organization it's okay to do that. That's right. Absolutely. And I think a lot of, a lot of folks in – you know, let's say it's, you know, some kind of a, a program management or product management role, they've been able to drive, you know, to points and outcomes and, and manage conversations by virtue of, you know, either sitting at the head of the table, because, you know, it's what you do if you were, you were trying to drive that and you were, uh, it was your meeting or by controlling and standing up in a room and you're able to kind of, you know, manage those types of things. We can no longer do that, right? And so suddenly everybody started standing up in front of their Zoom camera. It would be, yes. Yeah, and suddenly it's like, you know, it's suddenly like a vice president of product shows up and it, it's more by virtue of title and positional power and, and you, know, you know, when when someone speaks, people listen kind of thing that it's harder now to control those. So the other side of this is that, you know, just being super prepared for every conversation. If you need an agenda, you need, you know, outline for yourself, whatever it is and time boxing those conversations and kind of really heavily... And for some people, it's uncomfortable, you know, facilitating and managing a little bit with a heavier hand, especially when someone who outranks you positionally is on the conversation. Yeah. Um, but if you're going to get to those outcomes, you're going to be respected and trusted, you know, kind of as a partner to drive that forward, bring back visibility and transparency to us as to how things are going. You have to kind of become a little bit more accustomed to those types of things. So if you're going to be super prepared, am I correct in assuming that you are then advocating for maybe people taking on a little bit less? I think there's two, maybe three, three parts. So the first one is okay. yes, just be a heck of a lot more organized. Um, the, the second part is I think you're going to have to be able to take on less, you know, to prepare more to steer things more, to be... Which is this exact same thing we're telling them to do in work anyway. <laughs> what they're right? building. Do yeah. less, do it right. Focus on finishing and do it right. Yeah, yeah. So, so individuals are going to have to be comfortable with that. The other is I think you're going to have to manage with metrics. Like, there's two sides, two sides to that. One is I need to know what my system of delivery can produce, whether it's one team, 10 teams, 100 teams. What can they do that we can prove? And so I'm looking at, you know, as much historical data as possible. The others, I'm going to have to kind of manage by some soft metrics. Like what is the pace of change that these teams can incorporate? You know, what is the overhead that now working remote is adding or reducing in some cases? Uh, and then the other is kind of a third metric. Like what am I capable of doing? If, if individually the, the, the folks who are responsible for things like, you know, road mapping, planning, bringing back uh, visibility just aren't able to keep up because of, you know, 14 million things and distractions of their own, plus their kids are, you know, working from home and landscapers are outside their own house. Um, there, there's a lot of distraction. And so being able to really focus and know, 
know what your limit is, be, be willing to stretch, but understand that as soon as you stretch too far, the whole system around you will break down, right? Do you feel like people are understanding of the fact that this way of working is different and taxing in completely different ways and that there's going to be distractions and that it's hard for people to stay focused and there's going to be times when they're not. And that if you're one of those people that tried to separate your work life and your personal life, you, you know, forget that. That's totally gone. <laughs> I, I, was... I mean, do you be like, to me, I have to remind myself all the time, like if I get irritated with something that's gone, like, you know what, this is hard. It's just the way it is. I'm going to have to just, you know, ease up a little bit here. So that, I forget where I saw this, but it, it really resonated. I saw it, it was almost like an online joke, but it was, do I now work from home or do I live at work, right? Um, <laughs> that, that's one thing that I think is going to challenge all of us. You know, the others yeah. kind of the connected all the time, anywhere kind of things always been a problem for the last, you know, decade or so. But uh, I think this is just exacerbating that. And then, but knowing, knowing, you know, what your capabilities are, yeah. where you're, you're struggling is really an important part. Yeah. And being honest with yourself about limitations. Um, okay. So I want to ask you one more question about socializing, and then I want to move on to Taylor. So when you're talking about socializing, you're talking about Nimawashi and making sure people are aware of, you know, the topic and it's not like going to surprise anybody. Um, but I'm wondering if this just socialness in general is part of that too. Does that play into that or is that completely separate? And I reserve the right to cut this question if you say it's separate. So, what, so you're, you're, uh, you're asking an introvert who... <laughs> I know. <laughs> right? Right. An um, introvert asking an introvert, do we now have to force ourselves <laughs> into small talk? <laughs> I, I think the answer is yes. Right. And so, and that this is, uh, especially in my, uh, you know, coaching interactions with, you know, leaders and executives, especially those who are extroverts, right. They want to spend, you know, the first say, 10 minutes or so of our hour long coaching session talking about, you know, kind of, and it, it's not small talk. It's, it's really get to know you, understand you kind of interact it's super uncomfortable because I come in and I'm like, you know, one minute in, I've already off of my uh, agenda for the hour. And so I think it's important. Uh, like there's to, a Gantt do... chart we have to follow here. Exactly. Yeah. We got 60 minutes. Every one of them's booked out. But uh, for, for me to really socialize what we're doing, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of one directional, but for the individual, the recipient to understand that, to feel confident, comfortable, and be able to confirm that, yes, we're on the right track, you need to understand who they are, what drives them beyond just, you know, the requirement. I think that, yeah. you know, that's one of the struggles. I think a lot of people, and I'll sit in and I'll watch some of these sessions, and it's very clear from the beginning that you've got a couple of really strong minds in the, you know, kind of the virtual room. Um, and they don't really know one another. They've, they've even worked for get, together for like 10 or 15 years, but they don't really know each other's drivers or interests or passions. And it's hard because you've got to make time for that. You should make some effort for it because that, I think it informs a couple. One is what we're trying to do. The other is like, how do I now bring this information back to them in the future? You know, do they want the data? Do they want the feeling of the team? Do they, all of those pieces are super important to different ways and different people. Yeah, I, I, and to, to build on that, I think if you're interacting with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, um, I'm trying to treat it like, especially if it's somebody I don't really know, um, 
each, each conversation is just me trying to learn how to have a conversation with the person. Mm-hmm. Like I did an interview on Friday with a guy. I've done three interviews with him. And each one, it's like, it's just weirder and weirder and weirder. And I finally figured out that on Friday after we finished the interview, because I, I like to talk about social stuff at the end, but we were talking about how it was going. And I realized that he is very much a go from point A to point B to point C. Whereas I'm like, here's point, oh, look, a squirrel. <laughs> and, and the whole joy for me is just like seeing what happens. But you and I had that same problem when we started teaching together with that, your whole metaphor that you had for jazz verse marching band, I think you said it was, right? Yeah. So, and this is the other, actually, like you and I actually are a really good pair. You know, we have different approaches, yeah. we have different things. And so, and I... I find that with other individuals, especially in this, you know, kind of virtual world, find those who have strengths that offset where you kind of have maybe some challenges. And so that example, yeah, it's orchestra versus jazz band. I wanted to approach all of our classes like the orchestra. Everything's got a cadence. Everything's got a key. Here's the tempo. Um, Like at four hours and 10 minutes into this class, we should be at this slide. Yeah. Um, and what really actually works in those types of settings is it's much more the ability to kind of freestyle and improvise and it doesn't like that work jazz that great on, not, not as great online as it does in, in it's a classroom. Balance, though, right? It's yeah. finding that balance. That's the key. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, to me, that is one of the most fun aspects of this way of working is, is I look at it like having conversations with people now is like playing music and I'm trying to learn how to play with that person. Um, but that is, I mean, I'm having to force myself to think about every interaction in a very different way than I did in an office setting. Yeah. So I think that is like advice I would offer to everybody is you kind of have to approach this stuff like it's a completely different thing than anything you know. You get no body language, you get no micro expressions, you get very little in vocal tone, you have so many technical challenges. You have to learn how to talk to people in a totally different way. Absolutely. Yes. It, it, it you, even if you think you can see their face, you can't read the rest of their body. So even those nonverbals have, have really changed over the last few months. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk about tailoring. What is that? Tailoring is, it's one of those. So if you went in, you had a good, you were prepared, you had a good conversation, you socialized, you really kind of, you know, got feedback. So it's, it's socializing and sharing, but also getting the feedback. Now you need to tailor whatever it is you're doing. So tailoring is just taking all of that different, you know, kind of input and direction from everyone else and now figuring out what's next. Do I need to go back and clarify more? Do I have agreement and can move forward? Uh, is there something we need to clarify or am I just ready to kind of put this on the roadmap and take it forward and move forward? So tailoring is just, you know, doing something with all of those conversations you did to, to set it up. Okay. So just taking action on it. And then that's going to lead you into the actual implementation of yeah. doing the actual work. Um, so you've said, I've heard you say in class before that you think creating a roadmap would take a couple of days. Yeah. I do. What about online? How long is that? Ta- how much more time is that taking online? Because I'm assuming you're not spending eight hours at the board, you know, all moving stuff around. Yeah, it's a good, good question. So, um, a, a test and experiment that I would, I would run, uh, or might be running right now to see how it goes. But I think if I go back and think through the all of the work I need to set it up, so I would start probably. Myself, it was me doing a roadmap a week or two ahead of what my normal cadence would be. Okay. And I would probably spend 
almost as much time preparing and socializing as I would for building. So if I was going to plan, you know, in normal on a whiteboard in a room, a, a full day, maybe a, you know, a follow up in the morning, the next day to just get everyone online, I may spend, you know, collectively 12, 16 hours over the week or two ahead of that with that kind of socializing, drafting things up, getting feedback, throwing things at, you know, kind of the wall to see what sticks. And then when I come into, all right, I need, to, I still need to get everyone together to, you know, work together, validate, confirm this and move forward. I still probably book maybe a could four or six hours. I wouldn't try to do it all at once though. People okay. need time to kind of think through it, grok it, you know, figure out what to come back with. So maybe it's like two hours across three days in the next week. It gives them some time to think about it, discuss, maybe challenge a few things. That also gives people time in between, you know, points A and B yeah. to converse. So maybe like a Monday, Wednesday, Thursday kind of thing, you know, Monday's the big get everyone on the same page. Wednesdays, come back and refine it. Thursdays, let's get confirmation, move forward. You still do it fairly quickly in a compact time period. Um, but I just don't think it's going to be sit everyone on a call for eight hours either. Okay. I want to, I, I think it's, what's really interesting to me that you said there is, I mean, it was all interesting, Jeff, but there was one thing in particular <laughs> um, that you're spending as much time in the prep and socialization of the thing as you are in the actual event. And to me, like that, that is a really big deal. It's a really big part. I know in, in the class that we do too, is that there's a ton of overhead and you, you have to account for it because you're going to spend it either way. Like if you don't do the prep, everything's going to take longer. If you do the prep, you might be able to get the results you're looking for a little bit quicker. So, um, it's funny because I think a lot of people have shifted over to this way of working and they expect it to still be the way that it was. And there's so many little subtle differences um, that are forcing, at least I feel like they're, they're forcing me to learn to be more efficient, whether I want to or not. I think that it's the little differences, the little nuances, um, complicated by things like technical issues, people not showing up because they're, you know, running behind from another meeting that they all just compound. Right. And so yeah. all of these little things that we kind of expect to be able to adjust around create this chaotic set of variables. to like, we're just not accustomed to. So, um, this is, this is, you know, to manage the chaos, let me look at all of the different potential patterns be ahead of it. And I think that just requires, you know, spending more time in preparation. The other thing too, that this does, if you pick on product owners again, is if I've spent maybe more time getting prepared than I am used to, uh, but now I'm, I'm having all of those conversations and socializing, I am, also makes me more confident in yeah. validating and kind of arguing for things like priorities, you know, what I'm going to say yes to versus not yet. All of those, I think the, the side of, of, of that is to really reinforce, you know, for this individual, like, here's why we're doing all of this stuff. Here's who I've talked to. Here's why this is important. This isn't. And so that's even better in those cases. Okay. Um, so with the creation of a roadmap, could that be done... I mean, does everybody have to be together at once or could some of it be asynchronous? I, I think it's a mix of both. And so if I rely only on the asynchronous, um, then you don't get the conversation and it's really what we want. We want That's people to collaborate, it, right? That's the whole point of it. Yeah. yeah. If you rely on doing everything together, um, 
to some people, that's just a huge waste of time. Plus there's, you know, just some administrative technical type things you have to do, like move things around on the visual, you know, roadmap based on conversations. And so if you can find the balance, it's never perfect, but you've got to do enough work that you're not wasting people's time watching you move things around on a PowerPoint and around a tool. Um, but you also have to have that conversation and agreement from people. Okay. I want to offer two practical things about, cause you just said moving stuff around. Um, so first I would, um, and I want to check in with you on these. I, I would suggest that if I was going to have a road mapping meeting in the same way that in class, we have somebody there to deal with technical stuff and help people out when they get lost, that you have somebody there who can do that for you. Because if you don't, the entire thing will be sidetracked by the one person's technical issues. Love that example. So okay. you know, find your, your, you know, backlog buddy, whatever it is who you're, you know, especially the product owner and product folks, they need to be talking and under understanding, interacting, have another person doing that physical interaction, moving things around is, is perfect. Whether it's, yeah. you know, a, a friend from the product owner team, it's scrum master, whoever get them to manage that. Absolutely. Okay. And now this one I want to check in with you on because I don't know if you've seen this work elsewhere, but what I have found is that in Miro or Mural or whatever online tool I'm using, if I am asking people who are participating in a conversation to start to manipulate things on the screen and move them around, um, like let's say a bunch of cards in a backlog to order them or size them or whatever, it's a disaster. And if instead of having them move like cards around, um, I have them move from one screen to another, it's a disaster. Um, there's weird little things where like a simple example, in a class, I'd say, write a user story, hand it to the person next to you. You can't do that online. Right. And I can't, if I say to people, you take this person's card, you take this person's card, that doesn't seem to work for whatever reason. And having them work on stuff together also is a struggle. So I'm wondering if you've found a way with road mapping to get people to collaborate where the technology does not create noise that overwhelms their ability to do work. <laughs> so I'll share a couple of examples. Um, so worked with a, a few you organizations. Just do everything yourself and tell them, here's what we're doing. <laughs> right. But, well, that might be one of the options. Um, so some organizations uh, have been able to incorporate some of these tools, you know, Miro, Mural, some other kind of virtual whiteboarding tool, you know, uh, Node app. There's others where you can interact and, and you can move those things around. If people dedicate, and I'm not talking a few minutes, I'm talking a few hours to really learning how to interact with those tools, and you can come in and give them really specific guidance on what to do, what not to do, what steps to take in the tool. So they've, they've figured out how to use the tool. You're now giving them guidance on how to use it for this specific interaction. Uh, then that works. Most people don't do that because it does require a couple of new hours learning how to do a tool, not just doing tutorials, but interacting and those types of things. So that's one struggle. The other is a lot of organizations, because of their, you know, either VPN settings, security issues, you know, legal constraints, whatever, aren't able to use those types of modern tools. And so yeah. they're messing around with some of the old legacy systems. So that's a struggle, which leads me to that if you can't get everyone to learn it 
and be good at facilitating an interaction, or you just simply can't use some of these tools because of you know, kind of we haven't haven't figured out the security issues. Then it comes to the you might have to do it yourself visually and physically in some kind of a medium with input conversation and eyes watching what you're doing, which does take time and it's frustrating for people. So I don't know that there's a, a win-win on any of those, but there's there's things to look into. Yeah, you know, I'm, when you were talking about it, I started thinking that, you know, we've got all these games we play when we're, you know, either teaching Agile or working on learning something or figuring something out. Um, I'm wondering if there's games that we could play online with like a team of people to get them to learn how to work together collaboratively using a tool online so that it's not like the stress of, you know, solving the the work problems you can make it a playful thing in the beginning but they would start to start to normalize on their interaction level and how they would collaborate i would love to research if anyone listening has some ideas yes, on those please maybe they can share that that'd be awesome <laughs> yes because that makes it so much easier right I mean, instead of me having to figure out or try to preemptively think about what have to, has to happen in this next meeting we've got some of those that'd be great yeah okay so um, do we need to talk about implement? That seems like a pretty simple one to me. Are, are there just, aspects of that we need to cover? The only thing I'd mention there is, you know, while you're doing the work, maintain visibility, transparency, um, you know, whatever cadence you have, let's say you were doing, you know, maybe a, a roadmap review every quarter, maybe you want to just ramp it up and do it once a month. Um, you know, if you're looking at your release plans every month, maybe you should look at it every sprint, whatever. Just, I would say, increase the amount of time you're giving visibility into things um, in, in different ways too. Like if you used to to just come in and you had a, a status report or a roadmap, you know, kind of burned down or something like that, um, maybe you need a couple of different mediums for that, but yeah. more frequent. Yeah. And I think patience too, because I'm finding that um, I will send stuff to people and then when I talk to them, they'll be like, I didn't get it. <laughs> and I'll be like, yeah, you did. Here's what the, oh, there it is. I didn't look at it. Can you send it to me again? You're looking at it. Um, and for whatever reason, giving people links to things, it doesn't mean that they're going to get it or look at it. I think there's so much communication coming through now. It's much harder for people to maintain it. I think you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and not only coming through, but I think it's more is coming through all of the channels, more IMs, yeah. more emails, more text messages. Yeah. I mean, how, yes. Like when we've, we've been doing stuff and I've had to look in like one of the five different chat sessions we have because of the other people collaborating with us or email or somewhere else. I mean, there's so many different things going on. It's really hard to keep track of them. And it's also really, really distracting if you've got like, Slack and Discord and email and Twitter. I mean, like everything. There's so many ways for people to screw up your focus. Yep. It's like it's like a gauntlet of distraction. <laughs> it really is. Yes. Yeah. Like individually learning how to manage some of those. That's been a challenge for me too. Like even in the course of our conversation here, I've gotten like 16 Slack messages, eight different text messages, and I don't know how many emails. And I want to and, respond to all of them, but I'm like, hang on, let's focus on finishing first. <laughs> and doesn't that make you wonder why Jeff didn't turn them off before we started the conversation? I at least silenced them, but I can still see the little <laughs> things going off. Yes, right? <laughs> um, okay, so what about the reinforcing? That part, well, I mean, I, I get the retro part, but reinforcing, I'm, I'm curious about this. This one I don't it, totally get. Yeah, it's, it's cool. So reinforce is part of what we use, you know, at Leading Agile in terms of our piecer 
approach. So peace or approach. Which stands uh, re- for prepare, socialize, tailor, implement, reinforce. And reinforce, yes. And so reinforce is basically just coming back um, on a regular basis to reinforce what has been done, what's been decided, why it was decided. Because if you, if you think about things, right, every day is new. And as you get further away from a decision point being made, so yes, this is our top priority. Here's exactly what we want. You know, tomorrow, probably not going to change much. But by a month from now, things have changed in the organization. Things have changed in the market. Someone has changed their mind about how they want to do something. And so a month from now, today's decisions may not be as clear as to what they were or why they were made. So coming back with some kind of reinforcement, and there's no really easy answer, right? You've got to understand uh, the players, the content, the culture, the communications, but reinforcing um, those is is a a key part of that. The other then is reinforcing in the implementation, right? So if things start to diverge, they start to get complicated, they start to get a little messy in how we're implementing, being able to reinforce, you know, here's the outcome we're trying to achieve. Here's what we're trying to do. Maybe less focus on the how, because it's usually the how that's really frustrating or messy. If we can, you know, kind of one is reinforce what we're trying to achieve and empower a team to achieve that, even if it's different than how we originally thought. I think that's one of the other uh, R's for reinforcement. There's two other R's that I I almost in my head, I think about, but you want to call it peace juror? Peace through, yes. And so, you know, the other is retrospect, right? I mean, obviously, we want to continuously improve. Um, and then the, the final one's like refresh. I mean, at some point in all of this, if we, I mean, even just in the road mapping example, right? I've done all of this setup work, got everybody I could involved. We're now implementing, I'm constantly reinforcing and, and showing progress and all that. Uh, we retro to figure out what I can do differently next time. At some point, I just need to refresh, right? I need to back off, take a moment and, and personally think about, you know, do I have the energy to do all of this again, uh, repeatedly, you know, especially in this new way of working, whether it's agile or more or both, you know, it's, it's, it's exhausting at times. So all of those kind of play together in my mind as well. So where you're using the word refresh, I want to use restore because I think restore. I you've like got that. to build yourself back into a place where you can engage again. I think for retro, I, I'd like to add that when you're doing a retrospective, one thing that I probably wouldn't have focused on in person that I'm now feeling like is really important goes back to this thing of the fact that everybody's distributed now. So it's not just, you know, a couple people are periodically were distributed, but there's all these little things that that creep in and and mess you up or catch your attention or could be amplified to make them better. Um, Taking time to reflect on how our communication is going because we're remote, how it's different because we're remote, I think is an important thing too. It's not just what do we build? Did we build it well? But where is this wearing us down? Where is the Zoom fatigue breaking point for us? Stuff like that. Yeah, I think that how we interact, how we collaborate, how we communicate, that's a really good, maybe specific topic for each one of those kind of retro conversations. The other, as I think about is, I think action items coming out of those retros may need to take a little bit of a new look at some things. And so the one I'll pick on is, say, you know, some kind of info security requirement that says we can't use third-party tools um, that are cloud-based to be able to interact. Well, you know, anymore 
99% of those are cloud-based, you know, kind of tools. And so in the past, we may have accepted that because I could get people to come in. I could even fly them in from out of country for these big, you know, kind of working events. Can't really do that so much. Maybe we need to kind of look and, and challenge some of those things we've always accepted in the past and think outside the box about what's new, if this is going to be kind of a new way of working for the next 6, 12 24 months, whatever no, that's it is. Right. <laughs> I want it to be over. Okay. Um, so there's a lot more. I mean, we've been going for a while and, I, and we need, we do need to stop, but I don't yeah. feel like we're done this conversation. So maybe we can make this a two-parter because I still want to get into metrics. I want to talk about whip limits, stuff like that. Um, you know, some, some other tactical stuff. So maybe we can set up yeah. another time to do a follow-up interview on this. We can do that. The other, I would love to invite, and this has happened on a couple of our podcasts in the past. I've gotten an email uh, or some other kind of contact directly asking a question or saying, hey, I'd like to explore this a little bit further. Uh, I would invite that from our audience as well. It always helps me to kind of figure out, well, what do I want to talk about next? You know, and I think this was, this was by virtue of kind of our our collaboration of of things in the training, as well as some kind of interactions I have with, you know, customers lately as to where they've been struggling with this, you know, especially road road mapping and, and release planning. But yeah, if audience wants to say, hey, what about this situation or this type of setting in our new kind of virtual interaction world, share those with us and we can kind of, you know, not just me or, or, or you, but we can share that with, you know, kind of the rest of our team because you know, they're really focused on things like these live streams and podcasts being very tactical uh, and practical and, and, you know, kind of pragmatic as well, in addition to our big overarching transformation message. So, yeah, yeah, we'd love to kind of take that in. Cool. So, and so if they want to reach out to you, Jeff, what's the best way to do that? Best way to do that is to email me and uh, it's jeff.howie at leadingagile.com. You can link me in as well, on LinkedIn, if you want to do that. And then the others, you know, just use our contact us page on our website, although coming directly to, to one of us would probably be easiest. Yeah. And I'll make sure to include links to all that. And I'm also going to post a link to the white paper um, in the podcast show notes. So hopefully you'll check that out as well. But Jeff, thanks a lot for taking time for this, man. Always a pleasure. All right. And thank you all for listening. Send us your feedback, your questions, your thoughts, and, uh, Hope you enjoyed this. Thanks.